You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 98 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined in studio this week by Kevin Cook. And uh, Kevin, it's good to have you back on this Father's Day. How's it going? It's going really well. Uh, what's bothering me today is that I am at 996 followers on Twitter as I record this audio. <laughs> it's at, all about the Twitter. At K. Michael Cook. Just give me to 1,000. I feel like it's a whole new echelon of cachet, of, 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 of importance. People will see me uh, as being an important person or and that, that much more. And that could help you get that blue check. It could. And maybe that's what Twitter is waiting for. They haven't explicitly told me. They haven't answered for their crime of not giving me the blue check, even though I'm a journalist. Um, maybe with a thousand followers, they'll have to pay attention. All right. So Twitter, get on that. Uh, get Kevin verified. Let's yeah. just start that hashtag right now. Get Kevin verified. Uh, <laughs> so make sure that you do that. But we actually have two great guests on today's show. We've got Ruth Riley, the general manager for the San Antonio Stars. Of, she's uh, also a WNBA champion, an NCAA women's she's basketball She's got an Olympic champion. gold medal as well. Yes, so she, right. she's, she's done a lot. And she's also got a great initiative uh, trying to fight hunger throughout the world. So we'll talk more about that here in just a few moments but also we've got justice winslow who is a uh, a second time guest on the weekly brew podcast you might recall that we had him uh, last year on the show uh we did a, a live video with him which was uh, kind of fun but he is actually going to be hosting his basketball camp here in houston june 24th through 25th uh and it's going to be a lot of fun it's the second annual camp he really enjoyed doing it last year and what uh he had the kids write an essay in terms of what they would do to change the world he's trying to impact uh youth that have a goal and a vision and still some passion really fun to listen to him talk about basketball. He also talks about the upcoming NBA draft. I asked him about De'Aaron Fox, who he played with on the Houston Hoops AAU squad. I think uh, Fox was a freshman when he was a, a junior or something like that. So uh, they have some history there. And he goes into what he had. He says top three, a top five pick. I agree. Yeah, I, I think that's without question. He will be a top five pick. Uh, but yeah, so definitely follow Justice on Twitter. Uh, his camp is a great cause, and it, it's great that he's working with uh, uh, young boys, fifth and sixth grade, I believe, and uh, helping being a mentor for them, which I think is all the more important. It's not just about basketball. It's helping about them be, becoming better people, and I think, I think that's the most important thing. And we'll be catching up with them at the basketball camp. It's June 24th and 25th at St. John's. I don't know if it's full yet. Go check uh, robinshouse.org for information about that, but we'll be out there uh, catching up with him, talking a little bit, NBA, a little bit of NBA, and, uh, and hear about how his off-season preparation is going. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we mentioned at the top of the show that it is Father's Day. Uh, Kevin, I, I know that uh, your father, Mark, is a, uh, a big supporter of the podcast. Uh, what, what is one, I guess, favorite memory that you have uh, with your father? Well, uh, if it's podcast related specifically, I would say my favorite memory is my father. Uh, probably watching the 94 uh, uh, finals, uh, the Rockets play in Orlando, of course, and uh, and. Uh, no, it was New York. Actually, it was New York in the first one. Uh, and uh, it was picture-in-picture picture because O.J. was right. racing from the cops. We've talked about that a few times on the show, yeah. And, and my dad's quote, well, I'll never forget. I mean, I was a child. I was 87. I would have been uh, six years old, right? So I, he said, uh, who, who gives a crap about O.J.? <laughs> and, you know, as it turns out, of course, the entire world cared deeply about it. It spawned multiple miniseries and award-winning television shows and so forth. But he was irritated that the Rockets were having to play in a tiny picture in the top right corner but uh, but in terms of he's been impressed occasionally like Wade Phillips came on he was impressed uh, it's nice to impress my dad I've been unimpressive I, I dare say disappointing most of my life so it's nice to uh, <laughs> nice to get the kind of validation the podcast is great for that too yeah so I'm gonna go with one of my favorite uh, sports memories of course my dad he coached uh, my little league baseball teams a lot growing up and he was always there very supportive uh, but he was a uh, he's a two time stroke victim. He had a uh, a massive stroke when I was a uh, sophomore in college or sophomore in high school uh, in two thousand three, and then he also had another stroke in two thousand seven when I was I believe a junior uh, at Baylor. But he survived. Uh, he's alive and kicking right now. His golf game has actually improved. Uh, but one of my favorite uh, sports memories with him. 
has to be in 2004, uh, we went to uh, to see the Astros play. And they were playing in the National League Championship Series. I believe it was Game 5 against the Cardinals. And it was just an amazing uh game brandon backey who some of our listeners might recall was just lights out during the playoffs uh the game was zero zero i remember carlos beltran who is now with the astros uh made uh, an amazing diving catch out in center field to keep the game scoreless in like the sixth or seventh inning i think backey had a no hitter going into like the sixth or seventh and then in the bottom of the ninth inning tied at zero zero jeff kent hit a walk-off three-run home run into the crawford boxes and that place just went absolutely nuts and i remember we were sitting in the uh, the club level he actually got two two tickets from work and it took us probably about an hour hour and a half just to get from there to our car right and it was just such a, a chaotic scene but it was so memorable and uh, unfortunately the astros did lose the next two games in st louis did not go on to the world series but that was probably one of my favorite memories with did, them did you see that i can't remember who was being asked this week but somebody said like i, I believe all four of your walk-offs have come at home uh and, and he said yeah it's real hard to get a walk-off on the road <laughs> <It was> the <laughs> response the, but the journalist was so deeply shamed it was played on a bunch of the like sports center and things like that played a couple of clips this week that's what i thought of immediately when you're talking about the walk yeah, that, that, that's that's pretty funny <laughs> but uh let's go on real quick uh and talk about the big i guess storyline for this week and that is the nba draft it takes yes, place sir. thursday june 22nd and uh of course the nba finals didn't really go as we had wanted i think we wanted a, a more competitive series you know games four and five were competitive but the first three were just atrocious uh but NBA draft takes place this Thursday. And of course, it seems like the uh, uh, the guy that we spoke about, De'Aaron Fox, is a lock for a top five. But uh, that top five, I guess, overall prospect seems to be pretty solid, led by Fultz, who mm-hmm. looks like he might be going to the 76ers now mm-hmm. after over the weekend. That is confirmed yeah. like nine different ways. Right. I'm it's pretty it's, sure it's, it's been reported, if you haven't heard, that the Boston Celtics have dealt the number one pick to the 76ers, and the 76ers are going to move up from number three to number one. Boston will get the number three pick. And I believe either the 2018 first-round pick from them or the 2019 first-round pick from the uh, the Kings. I think that's still being worked out as we are recording. But it looks like uh, 76ers are trusting the process and have the number one overall pick. Yeah, it is. It is um, it's sad because Sam Hinkie really did engineer all of this, and I think that it's not playing out exactly as he would have liked if he were still at the helm. But he's, he's ultimately responsible for all of the uh, leverage assets position that the 76ers finding themselves in. I mean, drafting guys who aren't going to play. Embiid, good Lord. Ben Simmons plays entire rookie. I mean, these these projects, these these weird principles they put in action, that's all Sam Hinkie, and he's not there to reap the rewards and the benefits of it. I would have loved to have seen what he would have done with the talent that they've gathered now. Um, I mean, done. I mean, it would have been done. But I would have loved to see him at the helm of that project. And uh, and it's kind of sad. What's he even doing now? Did he, did he go somewhere? I have no clue. I don't. I don't believe he's employed currently by anyone in the association, which is uh, which is a shame. I think because he's sort of a free thinker and a guy that I like being associated with the league. So, what do you make of Ainge dealing the first round pick, moving back two slots, getting another first round pick? It seems like he just hoards first round picks. Yeah, I don't know. I think he thinks there must be some sort of mechanism within the league where you trade assets for wins. Um, but actually, only winning games will do that for. You. So I, he may be confused about the whole point of this process <laughs> in the first place. I, I don't. He thinks they have some sort of inherent value. I'm joking, of course, but it is weird that he's stockpiling these things. He must have some sort of enormous end game in mind. I would hope. Uh, because it's so tantalizing. It's all we've talked about for, for more than a year now, the assets at his disposal, and what Boston could potentially do. And here they are collecting more of them, which makes uh, very little sense to me at the moment. So I hope it plays out into something big and newsworthy. It hasn't yet. Okay, so if you're Boston, you've got the number three pick. You know that Fultz is probably going to go number one to 76ers. Alonzo Ball looks to be a lock at number two for the Lakers. That's not what I'm hearing. 
what are you, what are you hearing? Because everything I'm hearing is that Lonzo is going number two. Yeah, I just I, they're not enamored of him. Is what I'm hearing is that the, there's not the enthusiasm there. Uh, obviously, Magic's taking a larger uh, role in operations there. I don't. I just I, I've heard that they are looking elsewhere. They're 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 taking workouts with other guys. They are not as committed as you would think. Do you think that's certainly a, not as committed as Levar Ball is? Right. Do you think that's a smokescreen? I don't know. I generally don't know. I mean, I could not tell you, and I don't know how that uh, the, the new revamped front office there operates, but um, I, I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach. I don't know why you wouldn't be sold on Lonzo. His dad doesn't matter, ultimately. He's going to have to shut up when his kid's making the money and controlling the purse strings. He's going to have a lot of leverage there. So I just don't – that's not an issue. They were enamored of his talent before. Maybe it is a smoke screen because, I mean, that's a, that's a guy that could potentially change the course of a franchise. All right, so if you're, if you're Magic Johnson, who do you take at number two? Now, of course, you know who I would take, but I'm, I'm deeply, deeply biased here. Obviously, I think De'Aaron Fox is the best prospect in this draft. I think he'll be the well, best. He said NBA. so himself. Yes. Well, well he sweet. did say so himself. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. I love his confidence, and I don't think that it's misplaced. I think that he works harder. He is smarter and just better in all the intangible ways than a lot of those guys there because he has physical gifts, no doubt about it. Jump shooting is your one knock on him. That's what everybody's talking about. Jump shooting is the easiest skill to acquire at the next and, level. And it's worked is. out from John Wall. I mean, we, we've seen, I think the biggest comparison that I've seen from De'Aaron Fox through all the prognosticators mm-hmm. has said that he is John Wall. So I think if you're an NBA GM, you've got to love that he's a ball hawk on defense. Yeah, like, and the he, fact that he has that comparison to make and the fact that John Wall has not only improved his jump shooting, but really all aspects of his game. His clutch gene, especially. You've got to, well, and that's that's such a roll of the dice kind of thing. It's great that those shots broke his way, but but I would say that he is he's, he's in the running for a top 10 right now playing guy. I mean, Without question. And maybe the best point guard in the league, you could potentially say. There are certainly guys that are in competition for that stuff. Curry's a, a perennial you know, MVP candidate as well, but, but he's in the conversation for that. Having that path really helps De'Aaron. I think because he's he's obviously a Kentucky guy as well, a one and done. A lot of the same defensive and, and floor running skills, um, really creative passing lanes, ability to make guys around him better. All those things help him. And the fact that John Wall has taken that path that has improved, I think, really does maybe convince some GMs. I might take the air a little higher than I would have otherwise. So some of the I was doing some research, and a lot of it seemed to suggest that De'Aaron Fox. Uh, is probably going to go to the Kings now. The Kings have I the, hate it. I hate Kings it. have the fifth pick, uh, but he's the only team. That it, that sorry, De'Aaron Fox is the only person that has worked. It's the only team that he's worked out for is the Kings, and there's speculation that the Kings were yesterday. Right? Uh, yeah, there's speculation that the Kings might actually trade up to get De'Aaron Fox. So uh, that's interesting. But if if I'm if I'm number two and I'm Magic Johnson, I'm looking at Josh Jackson out of Kansas. He's the six eight guard, uh, you know, player of the year this past year, uh, averaged sixteen seven and three. And he had some remarkable games. I mean, I look at his three-game stretch this year in which he played West Virginia, Kentucky, and Baylor. He scored 22, 20, and 23, all against NCAA teams that went really, really far. He's got so much athleticism. Uh, you know, he's got some off-the-court issues, so maybe that's why you don't take him at number two. But I right. think he's probably the second-best prospect in this draft. I, well, if you've got off-court issues, then you always want to have a strong program to absorb someone into. So I think that, you know, obviously there are a couple of strong programs. Boston. Picking, Boston, for sure. And Boston, you can afford to take a risk on a kid like that. And I hear that uh, there's some, you know, that they're high on Josh Jackson. A move back would indicate that maybe they've got, uh, that's exactly who they've got their eye on. So, if, okay. So maybe that's what Boston wanted. Maybe they, maybe they rated him as the number one overall prospect, but they knew that the 76ers were enamored with Fultz. Yeah. And, and they had a strong inkling 
that the Lakers are going to take ball. So that totally makes sense. If you're getting the guy that you want, why not trade back two spots and get another pick? Right. You don't lose anything in that scenario. So if you're pretty sure, and obviously the 76ers have made it very abundantly clear that they love Fultz and they love pairing him with Embiid and Simmons and the rest of those guys there, Bob Covington's guy who knocked down some shots. So yeah, I mean, I I guess, you know, uh, it doesn't hurt you to have more assets. You just hope eventually they're going to turn into something tangible that we can report on and talk about though. Yeah, so really quickly, let's let's talk with the local guy. That's uh, Darren Fox, obviously went to Cy Lakes. Uh, he told Jonathan Fagan for the Houston Chronicle this week that, quote, as a competitor, I feel like I'm the best player in this draft. Soon I want to be the best player in the NBA. So I, I like his confidence. Uh, you spoke with Justice Winslow about him. B- before we get into that Justice interview, give us the highlights of what Justice told you and uh, his experience playing with De'Aaron. Well, his experience is interesting because I, I personally covered De'Aaron um, obsessively. I think some would say his senior year was my first year on the job at HCN. So I, w- I followed Cy Lakes around. I went to virtually every one of their basketball games. I think I saw 25 or 26 games with De'Aaron Fox's senior year. And, uh, and of course, I mean, obviously I was very impressed. Justice played with him when he was a freshman. So he saw him as a very young kid with a lot of the same skill sets coming into a situation where he's playing with juniors and seniors that are established that have D1 offers or maybe have signed already and are going to really do it the next level and then obviously uh, try out for or, or attempt to play in the league as well and he said that De'Aaron belonged very quickly he said that it was not long before he acclimated to the speed of the game to the physicality of it even though he was a young freshman you know there's knocks on his body as well can't shoot the jumper can't he can't bang with the big bodies in the NBA, he's shown consistently throughout his life that he can overcome these minor issues because he has an incredible feel for the game, a love for the game, and honestly, people make fun of uh, kind of how he came to it, which was video games. He played a lot of NBA 2K. That's where I came to my love of basketball as well. I didn't appreciate basketball as a game, as a theoretical exercise until I played a lot of NBA 2K. So people make fun of him for that, but he really does think the game at the next level. I think that's, that's going to be a great boon to him and a reason that he'll acclimate to the NBA very quickly. Yes, yeah, so he's a guy that will go in the top five uh, this week, but he had a lot of experience. You you had mentioned his AAU days. He played on Houston Hoops. Uh, he played against Justice Winslow. Uh, played with, sorry. He played with Justin Jackson. Kelly who, Oubre was on that team yeah, as well. Kelly Oubre uh, and Justin Jackson obviously yeah. won a national championship in North Carolina. Is going to most likely be a, a lottery pick, but he also played against some other great talent here in uh, Houston. He played against Jonathan Motley out of Baylor, who's mm-hmm. probably going to be a, a, a late first-round pick. He also played against Damian Dotson, who yep. you're very familiar with. Love but Damian. Uh, That's got to be... I guess important for him, not only did he play elite competition at Kentucky, but he was playing with and against such elite competition uh, in in Houston. And I remember that stretch of probably about two, three years. There was just so much talent coming out of Houston that year. Yeah, and it... And- Justice talks about it a little bit, the Houston Hoops scene. It really is um, just a, a melting pot, first of all, because everyone here is a transplant, and just really a grinder to put yourself through. There are a number of really stacked AAU teams here that are playing during the offseason, during the summer. The high school teams are all very, very competitive, and they all play each other in these really terrific tournaments that are run. I mean, all the resources are here. This is an incredible town to be a basketball fan and to be a basketball player, and it does something special. I think it's why you're seeing, um, I won't say scores, but, but, but considerable numbers of Houston athletes that are going to D1 programs that are eventually getting picked in the NBA draft as well. Yeah, and we hear all this talk about Texas, especially Houston, being football crazy. And it is. There, it is. There, there's no taking away and from that. Justice talks about that, too. He says, right. you know, I, 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 that's part of how I grew up. I played football as well. I played baseball as well, you know? Right, but... It's also a basketball hotbed, and I, I think that's very important to realize about Houston and just uh, how you know it, it's starting to grow. Just I, I think even more, it's starting to be admired even more, especially as we see so many of these prospects getting drafted that are coming out of the city of Houston. But uh, really quickly, we did mention that it's Father's Day, and uh, Kevin, I, I, I'm curious. 
Lonzo Ball, who, of course, we mentioned a few weeks back on the show that uh, Big Baller Brands is one of our sponsors <laughs> of the show. Uh, but did you see his... We've not yeah. been sued yet. By yeah, that. absolutely. But did you see his uh, ad on Foot Locker? I did. And I'll ask you in a second if you saw uh, De'Aaron Fox taking shots at him in an ESPN article. But, uh, but you go first. I did not. But uh, if you haven't seen uh, or heard uh, Lonzo Ball in this latest Foot Locker ad, we're going to go ahead and play it right here. With Father's Day and the draft so close together, Foot Locker asked us to reflect on everything dads do for us. On our journeys to the NBA. Dads are special. So many memories. All those games of one-on-one in the driveway where he let me win. Just, just never missing a game. Of course there's that big day when your dad berates your high school coach in front of an entire crowd for not getting you enough touches. Waking up early to drive to all those faraway tournaments. Or that special moment when your dad sits you down and tells you where you're going to college. Copyright your name to make it a part of a family lifestyle brand. Went on first take and shouted back and forth with Stephen A. Smith about how you're already better than the reigning league MVP. All those interviews from the stands during college games. The public spats with the all-time grace. Soundbite after soundbite to the national media. And then tells 29 out of 30 teams to not bother drafting you. And fishing. We went fishing a lot. All right, so Lonzo Ball comes out firing shots in a, in a playful manner uh, against his dad, LeVar Ball. Uh, what do you make of it? I think it's funny. I think it's exactly what you need to do to sort of defray. I, what's Lance Armstrong's in some movie I see commercials for coming up. I can't remember the name, but it looks forgettable and terrible. But he is in a situation where they have uh, supposed to have backlit him and made his voice not recognizable. But the backlighting is so soft that you can see really every just a little <laughs> bit in shadow. And then they put a bicycle helmet on him. And his, his argument is, I think I'm more recognizable with the bicycle. Anyway, that, that's going to I, I think he's me. probably more recognizable with like a steroid injection. Right, going exactly right. But, but it seemed kind of like, um, I was like, no, you're still kind of a scumbag to me. Is I'm watching this, and even as I'm laughing at it, it's funny somebody wrote this for you, but it's, it doesn't make me like you anymore. Same thing with Lonzo. I mean, I don't think his father's that much of a problem. This is a great way to attack it. Some people will be like, oh, okay, he gets it. He's got a good sense of humor. It's still just as much of an annoyance, however much or little that is to you. I don't really, it doesn't buy any credit with me, but it's a, it's a good way to get um, people that care less, maybe, on your side. I, th- I thought it was just kind of a, a funny ad and well done by Foot Locker, who obviously is, uh, has made no public comments on whether or not they're going to carry his shoes from big baller brands when they come out uh, later this fall but i thought it was funny I, I i thought it was kind of funny how you have the other nba draft prospects and they're making comments about you know memorable times with their father and then of course it just goes into uh, you know satire just jumping Screaming off the at wall. my coach for the first time or something. yeah so so well done lonzo and his <laughs> pr agents i mean maybe this is just all a big master plan from lavar ball to make him more lovable but uh check out the ad if you uh want to see the full thing we'll put it on our facebook page at weeklybrewcast.com uh but uh kevin uh really quickly the other big story coming out of uh uh, I guess the sports world uh, this week is Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather, August 26th, Las Vegas, MMA versus, or I guess UFC versus boxing. This is going to be a, uh, a match but that I think not, everyone has wanted for the last year and a half. But it's not, and let me just be clear here, he's not going to be pitting his MMA skills against right. Floyd Mayweather's boxing skills. They're going to be boxing, if I understand correctly, Yes. Yeah, that's so. Why I, is this a freaking story? <laughs> like, so, so one of them's a boxer, one of them's not. That's right. really how far it should go in terms of analysis. But we're all pouring over this, you know, uh, go driving ourselves crazy. It's not an event. The fact that it was able to take place at all is the whole story and the whole event. The actual event itself cannot be anything but disappointing. So, well, I, th- I think that's a fair point because you look at it. Uh, you look at just the gambling lines. Uh, Mayweather open up. They're at, absurd. Yeah, Mayweather open up at minus twenty two fifty. That's insane. <laughs> that's it's not great value. <laughs> 
McGregor opened up at plus 950. Uh, of course, those have kind of changed a little bit. Uh, McGregor is now plus 475, which means if you risk $100, you can win $475. Uh, but Mayweather is 49-0 and 0 in his career. Hasn't fought since September 2015. Uh, McGregor, now, obviously he, he, a little bit younger. He's not 50-0 if he beats uh, McGregor. We don't give him any credit for this. Is he? No, no this, is, this is like this a sanctioned be... boxing oh, match. He'll go to 50 God. How is it? Boxing so corrupt and crazy. <laughs> it's, it's mind-boggling to but me. But it's, it's, it's two of the biggest trash talkers in the sport. And this is going to get... Uh, you know, pay-per-view ratings are just going to be insane for this. Hotel prices in Vegas have already gone up like 70% for that weekend. Have uh, you seen the video of Mayweather bringing cash out of his bank with a wheelbarrow? No. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Floyd Money, who is obviously uh, has some ethical issues, and uh, McGregor has uh, probably one of the biggest mouths in all of sports. So I think the trash talk going into this fight is just going to be phenomenal. Here's where it wouldn't disappoint me. Here's what it would take. It would take Floyd Mayweather being so confident, and he should be. There's no reason he should not be confident, but being so confident that he steps outside of his typical defensive-minded sort of uh, uh, fundamentally sound I would say boring style of boxing that doesn't necessarily appeal to someone who's not a diehard boxing fan and I'm not. I have he, he's a defensive fighter. Exactly right. So I would love to see him say hey I own this no matter virtually what happens in here unless I get hit by lightning or something. So I'm really going to take it to McGregor. I'm going to whoop the absolute dog s out of him and I'm going to make this a show for everyone because otherwise there's nothing entertaining that's going to happen here tonight. So that, that, that to me is I, I think Mayweather the only reason why I would give McGregor a shot here is because I think Mayweather doesn't want to be shown up by an MMA, a UFC fighter. I don't think he's but, even worried about right. it. Right. But he's a, he he's a defensive fighter. And so if you're suggesting that he's going to go out on the offensive, that's something uncharacteristic for him. And yeah. McGregor, that's his style. He goes out and strikes. And granted, it's going to be a little bit different because he's not going to be able to use the lower half of his body. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's used to use, using four-inch gloves in the, uh, in, in the octagon, and he's going to be using 10-inch boxing gloves in the ring. Uh, he's got half as many sides, bro. Right, but he's, he's, got, he's got a longer reach. He's younger. He's quicker. He's been fighting. He's, Mayweather hasn't fought in two years. I mean, if, if I'm looking at any way that, that an upset can happen, it's because Mayweather is forced to go on the offensive, which is uncharacteristic for him, and McGregor just being younger, a little bit quicker, and being an offensive fighter. I think that could potentially throw off Mayweather's game, but ultimately, I, I, I think Mayweather has to win this fight, and he's clearly the odds-on favorite. Yeah, I don't think there's any way Mayweather doesn't win this fight. I cannot envision a scenario that does not involve an act of God where, where Conor McGregor comes out the winner in this fight, which is why I think that there's room there for Mayweather to be something other than what he's always been. You're not boxing against an accomplished guy who stands a chance to beat you one out of every 10 or one out of every 12 times you play this, right? Like This guy has no chance to beat you. He's never played the sport. What, has he been training for, what, six months, eight months? Right. I, it, it, it's completely different. But it will never MMA. happen. That's not Mayweather. You're right. That's not in character for him. But that would be that would be worthwhile to me in terms of if I paid to see this, you know, that would be worthwhile. So, if, so would you pay to see this fight? No, absolutely not. Yeah, I, I don't think I would either. I'll just follow on Twitter, watch the recaps, and who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe something happens. Uh, I just think it's going to be fun just to watch the trash talk coming into it. But uh, really quickly, let's go down the uh, some some other gambling lines real quick. Uh, the total projection for the 12 round fight is that it'll go nine and a half. That's the over under. Really? Uh, minus 135 is the over, plus 105 is the under. So a lot of people think it's going to go more than nine and a half rounds, which uh, that's totally fair. That's but Mayweather for it. Right. Uh, prop bets for Mayweather to win by TKO or KO or DQ have uh, minus 120 odds. Uh, I think you get some value for the DQ there because Conor McGregor doesn't know how to box. He doesn't know the rules of boxing. <laughs> right. But he, he's going to prepare himself. Sure, I mean, sure. But they're famously complex rules. Absolutely. And I think I think McGregor is going to prepare himself, but I don't think he's going to. You know, what are the rules? Is it the Marquis Desaad boxing rules? No, that's a different I, thing. Yeah, I, I have no clue. It's not Desaad. Yeah, that's uh, that's BDSM. <laughs> what's a, what's a, what's the Marquis? 
Okay, somebody that likes boxing, look this up and, and explain it to yeah. me. Or I'll Google it. And, and shoot, us a, shoot us a tweet with the answer at Weekly Brewcast. Uh, but last one, uh, McGregor knockout in round one. So this is McGregor knocking out Mayweather. And I, I really think that's the only chance that McGregor has. I think if this fight goes long, I don't think McGregor has any shot of winning. I think he's got to have a knockout punch. And he's shown that he does. Uh, he, he can hit from the left side. And, of course, Mayweather kind of struggles with that. But a knockout punch, if you were to bet $100... And McGregor on McGregor to get a, a TKO or KO in the first round, you would win four thousand dollars. That's not, that's not a bad return if if you think McGregor has a shot. Well, I mean, when calculate out what percentage shot would he have to have there? I don't I don't think that I mean, I'm, I'm, in terms of calculating, I don't see that happening. I don't think that there's any amount of money I could get. I mean, maybe if it was a billion dollars, I had to risk like a, you know two dollars. <laughs> yeah, I'd make that bad. But otherwise, no, I just don't see it happening. I don't. Uh, I think that it's only going to get less interesting as we get closer and closer to the actual day. It's Queensberry. It's the Marquee of Queensberry rules okay. is what I was okay. trying to think of. By the way, so August twenty sixth, Mayweather McGregor taking place in Las Vegas, and of course, uh, you've got the twenty eight year old. Uh, uh, Brit, Irishman, whatever he is, going against Mayweather, who's 40 years old. So it, it should be interesting just leading up to the fight, but we're not sure that the fight's going to be any good. But uh, if you want to do, if you want to find good content, of course, you want to go check out our website, weeklybrewcast.com. Also search us on social media, Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Kevin, as I mentioned at the uh, the top of the show, uh, we've got two amazing guests on this week's show. We've got Ruth Wiley and uh, Justice Winslow, who both you interview solo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you were busy this week. It's not a problem. I'm always happy to, uh, to pitch in. And they were both fascinating people. You know, obviously, we met Justice before. I had never spoken uh, to Ruth before. And she's, uh, she's got, I know we had to cut it down for sound, but she had some, uh, some really interesting stuff uh, just about her life, which has been a fascinating journey. So it's always a delight to, uh, to get to meet interesting sports people and, uh, and get to pick their, uh, their brains. Absolutely. So uh, without further ado, it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Well, now we welcome into The Weekly Brew podcast, Ruth Riley the general manager for the San Antonio Stars and a retired basketball player. You play basketball uh, everywhere. I mean, overseas, here, collegiate, you're a champion, WNBA champion, one of the most uh, illustrious and successful careers uh, in women's sports, certainly. And, uh, and, and recently I've been doing some, uh, some work with uh, children, hunger. We'll get into that a little bit as well. But, uh, but first of all, just welcome to the show and, uh, and how are things going for you this morning, Ruth? Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Excited to be on. And things are going really well. Well, that's what we love to hear. So you know us. Obviously, uh, you're tied now with San Antonio. You've been all over the world playing basketball, and you also travel. I've been looking at your uh, your website and your blog stuff, and it's really um, really powerful, inspiring stuff that, that you sort of see and, and kind of report on a little bit. And I've, I've certainly directed listeners to go to that website uh, at the end of the interview so they can see it for themselves. But um, but this is a Houston show, and to uh, to give some uh, coverage to our Houston folks here, the comments are, are a story we've kind of talked about Every so often on the show, they were radically successful. First four championships in the WNBA, if I'm not mistaken. And then eight years later, they were defunct. And as I was reading, you were with the Miami Soul, uh, which also, I guess the same thing happened. You got sent to Detroit as part, of a, um, as part of a draft once that team went under there. And so now you're in a different position. You're a GM. You're sort of part of the, the head of the snake in the WNBA. And... I know a lot of people here in Houston love the comments deeply. It was a uh, it was a uh, uh, very connected to the city and connected to the people, and particularly young girls uh, in a way. Jenny Dal Creech is a columnist here, and she wrote about this not too long ago. And we actually asked her about it as well. I wonder is the is the WNBA today how different of a state is it in than in you know fifteen twenty years ago when teams seemed to be folding pretty routinely? Uh, it, it it seems to me like they're in a different place now. You guys are in a different place. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would hope that 21 years later, we don't look the same as we did our first four years. And there have been a lot of changes uh, from 
from presidents over over time. We've gone through a few, and recently Lisa Borders. This is her second year as a as our lead president. Rebranding, change of business models, and um, we're 21 years in. It's still relatively young for a professional sports league, um, but the most successful women's professional sports league in the world by far. It's, okay, so I wonder about that. Uh, it's it certainly. It seems to be on a different footing now, and I do. I wonder, from my perspective, I selfishly want the Comets back or something equivalent to them, right? I want to see women's basketball here in Houston again because I loved what it did. And I didn't go out. I didn't have season tickets, but I went to events. I went to games and things like that, and I think it has an impact on the city. I, I, I don't know if you even necessarily are privy to, but are there? Uh, is there talk of expansion? Is there talk of you know bringing more teams in and kind of and, and hopefully, at least for us in Houston, maybe seeing a little of that back to us? Well, that would definitely be a question for Lisa Borders and Adam Silver, but uh, I would say that we are we are open, I'm sure, to cities that that work commitments from from the corporate side as well as the fan base, and we think that we have a, a great product. We have the best female basketball players in the world playing here in the United States in in our league, and so uh, I think that they're strategic in how they're expanding. But um, expansion, just because of the sheer volume of, of young girls that are playing sports now are, are bringing in products in the collegiate level that are incredibly talented, and that obviously makes our professional game better. Adam Silver. I'm, I'm going to say I'm not a big fan of people generally. I've said many awful things about Roger Goodell, for instance, uh, and many other figures in sports. Adam Silver, my own personal opinion is that we may look back in 20, 25 years and say he was the best commissioner in any sport ever had. I mean, he just really seems to be progressive, uh, open-minded. Um, the way he communicates uh, is really, um, I feel like I get him and where he's coming from all the time, which is not necessarily the case. Roger Goodell sort of inscrutable, you know. Um, I mean, what has the difference been with his leadership? Not necessarily st- taking it away from David Stern, but, you know, Adam Silver seems to have brought a new life and energy to both, uh, or really basketball internationally, kind of making, uh, in my mind, the U.S., uh, the center of the basketball world there. I mean, what, what's been the impact in terms of that shift in leadership and what he is, uh, what he's brought to the table? Well, I would say we exist because of David Stern and the vision that he had for the WNBA. And, and Adam has is, is truly just carried that forward and, and shared that same vision of equality and expanding the game of basketball and providing an opportunity and believing that there should be a women's professional league here in the United States and wanting that to be under the umbrella of the NBA family. So I would say there's consistency there between those two, but Adam does have a completely different personality. As you said, he's very authentic, transparent as a leader, um, innovative, looking to grow the game in, in different ways than, um, than David Stern did. Yeah, it's exciting too. I love new ideas being brought in because I think a lot of times the story of sports, particularly like you know, sports like baseball, I mean, things are just kind of mired in tradition, and that has its value, I suppose. But it's really exciting when someone comes in with a new vision. That's that. That's it. Just seems like it's a great time to be a basketball fan, a basketball player, right, or a basketball agent. There just seems to be a lot of uh, upward trajectory and growth. And, and you see some of that because I was looking uh, on your website. You know, you make you make these trips. I think I saw Saudi Arabia. Africa doing basketball camps and, and, and feeding kids and all these things that uh, that you do there. So I mean, you see you see a much wider scope of basketball than certainly I do. Um, what, it, what, you know, the NFL has its problems. We talk about like concussions. We talk about subconcussive hits, CTE, all these things. That's a part of the discussion. I think when you turn on football, you know that you're sort of watching violence. You know, um, basketball doesn't have that issue. It's 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 you go out trying to grow the game as well as helping people. 
how much more growth is there? I mean, how much? What's the ceiling? I mean, how popular could basketball be? And I'm, I'm sort of praying as I say this, the most popular sport in the world. Uh, you know, in 50, 60 years. I think it has some room to to grow when it comes to closing that margin with um, soccer, as, as the rest of the world would call football. Uh, you know, it, it's just easier if you have a field and a ball, you can play soccer. I mean, there's a little bit more needed infrastructure-wise in order to play the game of basketball. So you need obviously a hoop and goals. And uh, but I do think from my travels around the world, our, our game is expanding in countries that have never played the sport before. I think that has to do with the broadcast and the accessibility of watching the game and and encouraging people to participate, uh, as well as the grassroots kind of infrastructure that is being built throughout the world. It's really exciting because that's a. I, w- I would love if basketball had the place in people's heart that soccer does worldwide because I'm I'm just a basketball guy. That's what I grew up on. My dad took me to Rockets games during the '94 '95 uh, championship year game uh, years. You know, so that's at, all my formative memories are basketball. And I do love that it seems to be kind of spreading. It does seem to be easier than baseball, easier than football. No equipment. You know, it's, it's a much easier game to evangelize about. I think. Um, but so, okay, we you uh, obviously are a woman. You deal uh, in your website explicitly with with empowering, nurturing uh, young women, girls, uh, and you cite sports as a great way to do that. And I think that certainly we've seen um, a lot of, since Title IX has been in effect, for instance, I think there have been tremendous benefits. I wonder what's, uh, what, there's a stat I read again from your website. So the 82% of women in executive level jobs played organized sports as a kid or as a young woman. What is that impact for a young girl um, if she has that ability to go out and compete, to, to win or lose based on how she prepared, to play as part of a team, like all those things that you know we sort of give uh, uh, by birthright to, to boys if they want, right? Well, what does it do for girls when they have that, and, and, and why is that number so huge? 82% seems a large number to me. It is a large number, but there are so many intangibles that sports teaches, especially young girls when it comes to confidence, discipline, the ability to work um, with others, communication, overcoming adversity, all these things that translate to the business world in a very tangible way. Uh, and, and we're seeing that played out now. There, there's a fight for equality and there's a fight for women to find their, their seat at the table. And I think that sport teaches some of those skill sets that are needed uh, in order for, for women to, to break into that world. Is teaching young women sports, is, is getting them involved, whether it's basketball or whether it's uh, softball, or actually know some young women that play baseball now with the, with the guys, which I think is a pretty inspiring story. Is that, is that one piece of that, how we get to where we want to go, um, to sort of give those opportunities to every girl and to allow them to experience that competition, that idea of preparing, of, of sometimes coming up short and, and sometimes being victorious, all of that? Yeah, I think sports is one of the ways to do that, right? Not every young girl is going to gravitate to sports, but it's an incredible platform, especially at a young age for, for young girls to understand um, you know, the work ethic that's needed, the, the confidence. The, I think overcoming adversity builds character in a way through sports that it's hard to replicate uh, in, in a, just in, in everyday life by default. And so I think the nature of playing sports inherently has things built in that will empower women and or empower girls to become great leaders. Yeah, that's, that's certainly a uh, hope for that as well. I mean, you, you seem to be uh, preternaturally concerned with children. You know, a lot of the, uh, I brought you on because um, um, uh, Hungry Free America is an organization you're joining. We'll talk about that in a minute. But also, I am a mogul, um, that that movement as well. It seems like, uh, like girls and children... Uh, 
seem to hold a special place in your heart and and feeding them in particular seems to be a concern what uh, you know I guess in my experience, I'm out in like the Cyprus area. Cypher is a, a very um, wealthy, affluent area is how it's generally considered. But I looked at the numbers recently, and something like 48%, uh, it may have almost creeped up to 50 now, of the, of the kids in the district are quote-unquote underprivileged or economically disadvantaged, which is shocking because you look and it seems like a very wealthy area. Are there, are there problems, particularly in terms of uh, feeding kids, uh, of keeping kids healthy, that, that maybe we are unaware of that are, that are more glaring than perhaps we know? Absolutely. Uh, hunger is not an issue that we like to talk about. You know, it's something we we would rather think just happens in the developing world and the other, you know, not in our backyards or something that our neighbors' kids or our neighbors might be struggling with because then it becomes it becomes a real issue that we have to make a decision about. Are we okay with this in our communities, in our country? Are we gonna do something about it? And it's easier um to live in um, ignorance in some sense. And so I think when, when people understand the issue of hunger in America, that one in six um, Americans don't know where their next meal is coming from, which we call you know, food insecurity or hunger insecurity. And one, and that number is higher for, for children, for seniors, for disabled um, citizens. And so hunger is a real issue in our country, but it also impacts um the future of our country, right? I mean, if if we're not taking concern about providing the necessary resources for our kids to learn and grow, um, what is that? What is our country going to be uh, in 10, 20 years? I, I'm curious about something. It was one of your efforts. Um, you you co wrote a book, The Spirit of Basketball, I believe is the name of it. Um, and I looked pretty hard last night and I could not find it anywhere. Can, can you still get this book? What, what was the What was the message or idea behind the book? It's something I did when I played uh, for the Detroit Shock. And so we did that kind of injunction with our team and pretty much gave it away to all our fans and the people in, in the Detroit community. So you can't find it at Barnes & Nobles, unfortunately. But you're just something where sport is a uniting factor, like music um, as well, I think, is another great one. And so for me, traveling the world, I saw how it didn't matter if what I looked like, where I came from, what language I spoke. Um, sports unites us in a way that we see every four years for the Olympics. And so kind of bringing that message on a simpler scale to to young kids and, and trying to encourage them to see a bigger world. Well, okay, so the reason we had you on, uh, Hunger Free America, joining the board uh, of, of Hunger Free America. And I know they were very excited to have you. I got a press release. I got some uh, some very uh, breathless uh, messages about that. What's the what's the partnership going to be like? What's a, what, what do they do that you like, that you want to be a part of, and how do they help solve the problem? My uh, passion for, for being a spokesperson and, and being on Hungry Free America's board is is really stems from gratitude. Um, you know, as a kid, you don't really understand um, the level of poverty you're living in or the assistance you're getting or where it's coming from. Um, but now as an adult, I can look back and see how these programs were woven into my childhood and really helped me as much as my coaches, teachers, mentors, families, um, everyone else helped me achieve the success that I have. Programs like free and reduced lunch programs, WIC, uh, SNAP, all of these were, were essential into helping me achieve my dreams as well. So now uh, as a general manager and you know, former professional athlete, I feel like I have an incredible platform uh, to tell my story, to inspire others, to encourage others, and to bring awareness to this cause. 
with the current climate, how important is it for people to get involved and to do something rather than relying on, um, you know, the government to take care of it or what have you? And, and if people are interested in Hunger Free America, how do they get involved and support that mission? Well, you can, there's tons of, of information on the website on hungerfreeamerica.org and you know, ways to take action locally, nationally, if you, you want to be an advocate for this cause, if you want to help with your local food bank. Summer meals are incredibly important for kids who oftentimes their only meal comes at school. And so where are these kids eating when school's out? And so there's great programming going on right now, especially during the summer. Um, and then just encouraging everyone to to really just be educated on the issues, um, open their eyes to the status of hunger in America and how we can all be active participants in improving it. Well, I, I certainly uh, I love love hearing you talk about it. I hope that uh, you have all the success in the world with them. I'm sure they're they're pleased that you are joining their mission as well. And uh, and and I uh, it's it's a worthy cause, no doubt about it. So thanks so much for joining us. I, you know, if people want to uh, reach out to you on social media or follow you and, and be a part of what uh, what you do, how can they find you? Pretty simple, just Bruce Riley zero zero former number. So R U T H I L E Y zero zero. All right. Well, we uh, we are rooting for you here at the Weekly Brew, both uh, both in your uh, you know fight to end hunger and uh, and on the basketball floor. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. Well, joining us once again on the Weekly Brew podcast is a, a hometown hero. I think it's safe to say Justice Winslow played his high school ball here in Houston. Is now a Miami Heat uh, rising star. I think all the press I read about you is always good, and, and people talk about how many how much strides you've made over your first couple of years in the league. So, uh, so Justice, it's, it's it's we're proud to have you here with us, and uh, and we're actually joining you again right ahead of your basketball camp. So I think it's June 24th and 25th, if I'm not mistaken, fifth and sixth grade boys. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's right. So. Having a camp's interesting. A lot of a lot of uh, NBA players do. A lot of uh, a lot of camps exist, places to go, whatever. I wonder what distinguishes camps uh, from one another. Because I, I, you know, I cover high school athletics, and it was part of my day job. And, and people are always wondering where do I go to get better? Where do I go? Who, who do I trust to tell me what I need to do in order to become a, a high level, you know, collegiate athlete or maybe even someday professional? And what are the, what do you need to communicate to fifth and sixth grade boys that kind of helps them along that track of being the best they can be at the sport of basketball? Um. Well, I think just at that stage, it's, 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 it's not so much about, you know, figuring out how, how you're going to get to the NBA. I think at that age, it's still, um, you know, pretty genuine and, and pretty pure, your passion for the game. So um, I just try to help help out with the fundamentals because I think um, with all the AU stuff and um, all the different trainers and all that's going on that sometimes guys, you know, miss out on the fundamentals and um, then they try to make up for it later in, in their careers. And so – um, for me, it's just about that passion and, and, and that fun and um, just the uneasiness and, and just the, not uneasy, but the, the simplicity um, of the game around, around that age is really what I look forward to. Well, and, and I remember last year, because we were out at your camp, and we appreciate you having us out, and, and we heard from folks afterwards, uh, you know, online and so forth, and that sincerity, that earnestness did seem to uh, to show through. I think people were impressed by that. And so I wonder, you're a professional now. You're in the thick of it. Um, if anybody were to be jaded and sort of lose their perspective, right, it would be a pro. But how do you maintain your passion still? Because it's evident that you still have it, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's what drives me, my, my passion for the game. Um, that's what you know, allows me to wake up at, you know, 7.30 this morning and he can go work out. And so, um, you know, some guys lose it. Some guys, you know, that, that, that love for the game transitions to, you know, other things. Um, but, you know, my love for the game has always been a priority and that's what kind of drives me. Um, I guess just I'm a student of the game and there's, and there's so much to learn. And there's so much um, you can do on the basketball floor, uh, so many things that, that, are, that are new to me. And so I guess that 
that interest in the, in the game, just being a student of the game, I think that's what, what drives my passion for, for basketball. And, of course, uh, the camp should be at St. John's. Beautiful uh, gym there, and that was where you played your high school ball, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, well, not that many years ago, but, but certainly not in the very, very recent history. Um, and two great success as well. Is it is it meaningful to contribute to that Houston basketball community and the kids in the same place where, you know, you sort of once were a kid yourself and sort of began to make your bones, as they say? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole landscape of the city of Houston um, has done so much for me and, and shaped me into a man. And, um, you know, as an athlete, I grew up loving football, um, played basketball too, um, eventually switched over to basketball. So um, it, it was a lot of, you know, good athletes coming out of uh, Houston around my time. And so, um, you know, it's always highly competitive in, in the workouts and, and all that. But um, it, it's nice to have my camp um, at my high school, somewhere I feel, you know, super comfortable, somewhere where guys, um, you know, everyone doesn't look at me as, you know, the NBA player. I'm still kind of, um, just Justice Winslow, the, the lanky, you know, student athlete um, when I was there. So um, it's nice to go back and, and see all the friendly faces there. Yeah, I would imagine so. I'm sure they're always glad to have you back as well, you know, one of their, one of their proud sons. But uh, it did seem like a good time when we were out there last year. We're looking forward to seeing you again there this year as well. But, uh, I mean, okay, so let's think for a minute. Uh, Landscape the NBA, right? This is new. Uh, we're having the awards given after the season, which is kind of weird to me. I won't make a comment on it since you're part of the league. But uh, but do you have a good idea in your mind of who's who's going who's gonna to win the MVP? Because that's, I think, what's on everyone's mind. Um. I, I hope um, they let, you know, both those guys get co-MVPs. I think they both deserve it. Um, I think for the most part, I'm a Houston guy. You know, I grew up a Rockets fan, so uh, I'm a little biased. Uh, I like James. He's left-handed, too, just like me. So um, I think I think they should let both of them get, get the co. Um, I think it, it's important to remember that, you know, James' team did finish, uh, you know, third in the West, and, and I think winning um, is, a, is a key component of, of who gets MVP. So, um, you know, we'll see. But I think both guys definitely deserve it, Russell and, and James. That's a, that's the best argument I've heard yet because you can still be a snob, right? You can still have your favorite co-MVP if you're like an analytics guy that favors Harden or if you're like a, you know, pure talent gut guy that, you know, values what, what Westbrook was able to do. You can still have that. I, I like that answer a great deal. So one more before I let you go, the most relevant thing in the, the Houston basketball scene right now, I think, is De'Aaron Fox. And, of course, I am. Um, I was fortunate that I got the job I have now, which puts me in the Cypher area. His senior year, I got to witness him do some really amazing things in front of guys like John Wall, who were coming out to see him. And it was always a circus when he was in town. And it is the circus has only grown as he played for Kentucky and really, really impressed, I think, uh, in that game against UCLA, in which Lonzo Ball did not look prepared to deal with him. So I, that's everybody's kind of looking. People are wondering where in the draft he's going to fall. He is uh, an elite talent, but more so, I think his stuff has come out about how much of a mature um, selfless leader. He had the intangible sort of things. And, 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 you know, not to embarrass you, but people say the same thing about you, man. So I wonder, is there something about uh, the Houston scene? Is there something about growing up here in Houston, competing in Houston, being part of that, that, that contributes to character or drive? Or is there is that a common thing of, of high-level Houston athletes? Well, one, one, he's he's a phenomenal, um, you know, player. I got the chance to play um, with him in high school on the, on the Houston Hoops um, around the circuit. And so, um, we knew we knew he was good. Um, you know, we had a, a super talented team. Um, Justin Jackson, Kelly Oubre, um, Kadeem Laddins at Oklahoma. Um, Leon Gilmore was at Creighton, transferred back home. So uh, we had a talented team with, with some older guys, and uh, they kind of just threw him in there. And uh, it took him a while to get adjusted, but we knew from back then that he was going to be really good. Um, I mean, he should be a, a, a top five, top three pick in, in this draft. And 
Um, I like to compare him to, to, to John Wall. I mean, just his speed uh, is almost the same type of player. Um, you know, he needs to work on his, his jump job. But, you know, the same place John Wall was, but he's really just dynamic in the open court. And so, um, you know, I think he, he'll do well, you know, fitting into NBA. But um, I don't know. I just feel like it's something about Houston, just everything from the food to um, the landscape to the culture in Houston. Um, it all plays it all plays a role in, in, in the athletes. Um, you know, our bodies were, were, were pretty strong built. Um, some of us are, you know, converted football players. And so, um, you know, I think just the whole makeup of Houston, everything has to offer is kind of, um, you know, plays into how, you know, our athletes are built. Yeah. And it, it's got to be nice to, to, at this point, know that, you know, not only were you produced by it, but you're helping to sort of uh, pour back into it and, you know, teach fundamentals to a younger age and a younger generation of basketball yeah, players, sure. which is just, uh, which is just awesome. You, on this same episode, I just earlier recorded an interview with Ruth Riley, who's the uh, GM of the San Antonio Stars, uh, and obviously a former you know, WNBA champion and NCAA women's champion as well. And I, you know, your camp's just for boys. I wonder, do, is there any plan in the future to uh, to grow the sport among girls? Do you, I mean, do you see some value in that in reaching out to that segment of the community, or are you sort of uh, are you sort of like a boys role model or, or tied to that in some way? Um, yes and no. I mean, um, as of right now, I'm you know I'm, I'm just you know trying to have this second second be successful but um my family foundation robin's house uh, family foundation um we do things with, with girls too um just a couple of weeks ago my mom um had sort of a women in um you know community outreach with a, a bunch of little girls in the, in the city of miami so um i do do things with, with um you know young women young ladies as well but right now uh, i think for the camp um you know i'm looking forward to it just being all boys but um, definitely open to down the line doing the same thing on the girls level. My sister played um, women's basketball at University of Houston. Um, so, you know, I'm familiar with the game. You know, I watched plenty of her AU games growing up. And so um, you know, I'm, I'm open to the, to the idea for sure. And I will tell people, I, I, people roll their eyes at me when I talk about women's basketball, but because I cover prep sports and I used to cover college sports, like I just saw a lot of women's sports. And uh, it, is, it is radically different now than it was 15, 20 years ago, I think. Title IX has been around longer. There are just so many more talented women playing sports. It's, it's not, it's not uh, people used to think it was a joke, I think. But, uh, but here's an interesting stat. I'm not, I don't mean to preach you, but Ruth Riley just told me this. 82% of women in executive level jobs, you know, CEOs and so forth, uh, played uh, competitive sports in their high school career so or, or earlier so that uh, apparently has an impact so that's just i was thinking about you yeah i mean i think um especially for, especially for um you know young women growing up um you know that's a great way to to, to get uh, you know a scholarship or um you know some type of financial help getting into college um is playing sports and i think more and more um people and especially in houston girls i know um you know playing lacrosse playing field hockey you know playing basketball volleyball um, sensing. There's so many opportunities out there, and I think both uh, you know, men, men and women are doing a good job of you know, attaining those, those goals. Yeah, and I didn't mean to shortchange. Of course, you do much more than just the basketball camp uh, with Robin's House, as you mentioned. And robinshouse.org is where you can find information about that If uh, after hearing this interview. Listeners, you're curious to find out more. But uh, and what's the, the Robin's House? What's the story with the, uh, with the name? I know there's a, a story behind that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's my mother's name, um, Robin, so... Um, you know, it's you kind of just ran with it. Her house, her rules. Um, you know, her way or the highway. And so she she did such a great job in <laughs> in raising us and and looking after us that I, I knew she would um, be a key focal point in, in, in our family foundation. So uh, yeah, that's 
pretty much it. Robin's house, you know, her way the highway, pretty much. <laughs> well, listen, she did do a terrific job raising you, and Houston is proud to, to call you one of our own. I know that for a fact, man. We uh, we wish you all the success in the world in both your, your competitive endeavors and your private ones, man. We are we Thank you so much for joining us, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon uh, at your camp, in fact. Yep, sounds good to me, man. Thanks for having me. Closing time. Again, we just had two great guests on episode 98 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. Thanks to Ruth Riley, the general manager for the San Antonio Stars, and uh, the Miami Heat's Justice Winslow for joining us on the show. And uh, Kevin, great job. Thank you. I appreciate it. They were, uh, they're both terrific guests, and they both gave me great stuff. So it's, you know, it's not me. It's all the, uh, the guests that we have on here. But also, we've had some really incredible guests in the past. Go check out our website, our guest list. Uh, that's it's honestly, phenomenal. It's, it really is like a, uh, like a thing that I just frame and hang on my wall and just look at sometimes. I'll go browse the guest list just to make myself feel better about myself when I need to. But, uh, but yeah, go look at it. It's pretty impressive, and we've had some great people on the show before. Yeah, absolutely. So check that out, weeklybrewcast.com. Also, you can check out our social media handles. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And also, uh, you the hashtag get kevin verified uh so he can get to a thousand followers uh just follow him at k michael cook but uh kevin really quickly let's jump into um i guess the biggest non-sports storyline of the week and that happened uh this past week in washington dc as a gunman opened fire to congressional baseball practice uh wounding uh steve scalise who is the uh, majority whip for the uh, republicans in the house but uh, uh kind of an interesting story and, and here's why four people were shot but uh the shooter who uh if, if you were to assume it was a white male, you're correct. Um, but it was a Bernie Sanders supporter, someone that campaigned for Bernie Sanders, somebody that has been adamantly against Donald Trump, uh, you know, posting comments, uh, posting rhetoric, showing up at protest uh, on, on his social media pages. He was a shooter. Ultimately, he was shot and killed. Uh, but to me, I think the fascinating thing is kind of the narrative that has played out. Um, it seems that both... Republicans and Democrats, for the most part, have come together and said, this is just deplorable behavior. Uh, it's, it's, it's not good. Bernie Sanders actually released a statement saying that he is, quote, sickened by this despicable act. Uh, I believe it. Bernie it, seems to, he really does he was seem frustrated. to be sickened by he, He's spoken of- several times that, you know, violence is not the answer, mm-hmm. uh, that you need to go out and vote. You need to go out and protest. You need to be proactive in creating change, starting at the grassroots level, using a gun to kill somebody or attempt to kill somebody is not the right answer. But this shooter apparently had a list of more than six congressional members of, that, he, that he wanted to take out. And here's my question for mm-hmm. you. I was kind of surprised that the angle that the media took when we saw um, Giffords get shot in Arizona a few years ago, the media jumped out immediately and said that this was because of Republican behavior and that I, I believe they actually blamed the shooting on Sarah Palin. And I find that interesting because Giffords, obviously a, a, a Democrat, uh, was shot by a nut job. Uh, she survived. And we had a nut job shoot at Republicans, but the narrative hasn't been the same. It hasn't, there hasn't been any blame put on Democrats. Mm-hmm. And so my question for you is, why do we see that narrative when it happens to a The people a, a that Democrat? are most up in arms about this, right, a Republican getting shot at and hit, are going to be Republicans. I think Republicans are a little more adult and mature about dealing with gun violence because it's just a fact of life for them, right? The Second Amendment is paramount. People have guns. Okay, These things but, are going to happen. But you had the New York Times actually come out with an opinion piece back in 2011 blaming this on the Republicans, mm. blaming the Gifford shooting on the Republicans. Now, why can't they blame... 
this on i mean because we've seen it we've seen democrats since the november election be completely violent i mean we've seen what they've done at cal berkeley riots on their own campus people not wanting to hear conservatives speak why can't and who can blame them right but but why can't the media call it on both sides why can't you say there are radicals from both sides that need to be checked and people that need to have an eye-opening i mean i'm paying i'm paying the right a compliment here i'm saying that they are not as as uh, you'll pardon the pun up in arms right about when gun violence is done because it is just sort of i think a fact of life of living with guns they, they i don't think that they are like you talk about the new york times right obviously they're going to be very very incensed when a uh, when a democratic uh, uh senator or, or judge or congressional anything like that is going to be attacked well the republicans have the responsibility to, to whip this up into a frenzy i just don't think they have it in them because people are going to get shot when you have guns everywhere that's well, just sort of I, how I don't it think, is i don't think they want to politicize it because exactly. they, know, they know that they have bigger issues on the horizon right now, especially with Donald Trump, I guess now officially being investigated yeah. for his uh, firing of Comey. Uh, but but when a Democrat gets shot, right, it's a huge, huge, huge deal. When a Republican gets shot, it's like, well, you know, people get shot sometimes. I, I, you know, if anything, they have a pretty, uh, a pretty blasé attitude, I think, towards this type of gun violence because guns are just a fact of life. But that's my own personal biases. Um, I think that's why the narrative is different, though, because you're right. It is a Republican getting shot versus a Democrat getting shot. There are different built-in narratives in terms of how these parties deal with and relate to guns in the first place. I I think that's the root of what's different about the way this is covered. Yeah. So again, this happened earlier this week in Washington D.C. Steve Scalise is uh, still hospitalized. Uh, he Thoughts took- and prayers, of course. I mean, I don't care what his affiliation is. I hope the guy gets better. Yeah. It was uh, a shot to the uh, the hip, and he actually had um, a, a lot of, I guess, broken bones, internal mm-hmm. bleeding. Uh, he had multiple surgeries. It, it doesn't sound good. I believe the last report that I heard was that he was still in intensive care. He was playing still baseball critical too. I mean, condition. kick a man when he's down. You know, like good lord. <laughs> baseball is a great sport, and it's actually a, a fun event. Actually, right. I, I think it's kind of cool to see the Republicans and Democrats come to gather and play a baseball game. Yeah, and that's a sad event. That sort of bipartisanship is like uh, sorely lacking, right? And that's the thing you attack. So, I mean, a poor job by, uh, by whoever the uh, would-be assassin is here. Uh, yeah, I, I did hear some, some people kind of suggest that they would like to see in future years to fully go with that bipartisan and have like, uh, you know, a mixed team. So not, not Republicans versus Democrats, but right. kind of do a draft or something like that's that. That's interesting. So, I like that. Yeah, I mean, we'll see if that happens. But uh, yeah. Sports so, can change the world, man. If we believe one thing here at the Weekly Brew, it's that sports can change the world. I think I heard of somebody like ripping off that quote one time. I'm not, I'm not quite <laughs> sure who that was. But uh, if you know who I'm talking about, send me a tweet at Weekly Brewcast. But uh, let's move on to a different subject real quick. Uh, we talk about the Olympics every two years when it happens, you know, when it's the winter games coming up in 2018, we'll, we'll talk about it briefly. We talked about the summer games. We had a great preview with uh, Nicole Auerbach uh, from uh, USA Today. She uh, spoke mostly about swimming. Here's what, here's what I admit. I, I wish that we could see Olympic athletes compete at the highest level more often than every four years. So, we we see the guy competing at the highest level, and that's Michael Phelps. Sure, absolutely. He's won. Probably, he's won like five hundred gold medals or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is next? More for than him? more than Greece won in its entire history <laughs> as a country during the early Olympic Games over the first thousand I, years. I, I think if like Michael Phelps was a country, he would be ranked like I, yeah, number third, two overall yeah. or something like that. But <laughs> but he is a uh, phenomenal athlete. Obviously retired after the uh, the games in Rio last year. But uh, he's, he's, he's he's already proven he's the best human by far. Right? right. There's no question so, that so, there's a human. So what's next? And I guess he's coming out of retirement. Right. to swim against a shark. There we go. There it is. Okay, I was, I was During shark so week. many times lobbed it over to you. You weren't picking up on it. He's racing a shark. What do, you, real. what do you make Not of that? Not fake news. What do you make of that? I am how does thrilled. This, how does this even work? I'm thrilled, first of all. Well, let me take you back to, uh, I don't know, did you ever watch Happy Days? Of course. Do you know how people knew Happy Days was over as a show? 
No. Fonzie jumped the shark, right? Fonzie, hey, you know, cool guy, right? Jumped the shark, got on skis, got out in a swimsuit, jumped over a shark. People said, this show is dead. Let's stop watching this crap immediately, right? Jumping a shark. Michael Phelps is about to jump a shark figuratively by racing a shark literally in his career. It's, it, it's astonishing. It's the best possible ending to a career that has dragged on far too long. So we've seen, like, sprinters race horses before. And, I've and, never personally seen that. And, and that's always kind of I fun to I know it's watch. done. That's always kind of fun to watch, but how the hell is Michael Phelps going to beat the shark? I mean, one, are they are they going to be racing like in separate tanks or something like that? I hope or not. I think they need to go side by side to a lane. lane so, over. so okay, here here are the gambling odds. I, I think so. There, there's three possible outcomes: Phelps wins, the shark wins, or shark eats Phelps. Thank you. That's number three. Why don't they just pit them against each other? Put them in like a big tank and just let them go after it. So like, can Phelps defeat a shark in its natural environment? If he can, he'll be much more impressive. To so me. we've got Mayweather McGregor. You want to see Shark versus Phelps? I think the odds would be about the same for those fights too. <laughs> but could Phelps <laughs> deliver the knockout punch against a shark? No, I think he's got just about as much of a chance as Conor McGregor. They're but both. He, but be he's got great alive. quickness. But can he go side to side? <laughs> <laughs> I would. I mean, I would rather see Phelps fight a shark than see Conor McGregor lose to Floyd Mayweather for sure. All right, so uh, Vegas put that together. I think that would be a great event for Las Vegas. They're going to be in the same pool anyway. Maybe maybe do that August twenty sixth. It's July twenty third. By the yeah, way, July so, 23rd so don't do it in July twenty third during Shark Week. Actually, make this the undercard. For uh, McGregor Mayweather, I think that could be a lot of fun. I mean, we've seen Sharknado be filmed in Las Vegas before. Why not make this happen? Can I read you? Can I read you directly from the release that's yeah, Discovery? Let's do it. This is for Shark Week. So this is how they pump up this uh, race between Phelps and the shark, which we are totally making fun of. They are one of the fastest and most efficient predators on the planet. Colon capital S sharks. He is our greatest champion to ever get in the water. Michael Phelps. 39 world records, 23 Olympic golds, but he has one competition left to win. An event so monumental, no one has ever attempted it before. The because world's most dumb. decorated athlete takes on the ocean's most efficient predator, colon, all capitals, Phelps v. Shark, the race is on. That's the stupidest thing I've ever read in my life. I hope no one watches. So what kind of shark is it? Uh, let's see. It is, it, is, is it a great white? Because that would be even better. There's no details here. Um, yeah, yeah, so there aren't many specifics yet. That's, all, that, that's literally all the information so, we so have. So they're, they're probably trying to find the most... The, the slowest shark and, and the one that's least likely to kill him, right? I would hope that the second one would be their primary concern, yeah. But, <laughs> but I mean, I would like to see him race the fastest shark. I mean, I want to see, I want to see our best pitted against their best. I think that would be a blowout in, in multiple regards. Mm-hmm. But we'll see what happens. But, okay, let's move on real quick. Uh, Major League Baseball, I'm not sure if you heard about this, is going to allow uh, its baseball players to use nicknames on the back of their jersey, and they can use, like, bright-colored neon shoes or whatever they want during this players' weekend later this summer. Uh, this kind of take it takes a page from the NBA. You'll remember a few years ago that uh, the NBA was allowed their players for like, I think one or two games to wear customized jerseys with their own nicknames. Mm-hmm. And of course they donated uh, the jerseys and uniforms to charity and uh, major league baseball is doing the same thing, but baseball is like a very traditional sport. We don't see advertisements no. on uniforms. Of course, recently this year uh, we see the new era logo that's on the baseball cap. So it's kind of a huge deal. We've seen them experiment with uh, logos on the bases for big events. I believe Spider-Man had like a, the second base for the All Star Game. Turn off the dark. Yeah, oh. they they had the like one a, that killed all the people. No, 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 no. Oh. They had they had like a, uh, a second base logo or something like that uh, during the All Star Game a few years ago. But uh, what what do you make of this? Do you think baseball is trying to become cool and hip, or do you think this is actually something the players want? Yeah, when you first talked about the NBA, I thought at first you were referencing like eight or ten years where they were actually allowed to dress themselves uh, when they were showing <laughs> the games and like you know when they were not playing and so forth, and they were actually wearing clothing that people would wear. But uh, but then 
then, you know, David Stern cracked down. It is weird to me that, that MLB is the one that's affiliated with this because I think of them as being a stodgy, old white guy, backwards, regressive type of situation in the league, you know? And I think that that is uh, fair or not. That is the perception among people that are not diehard MLB fans. But we've seen baseball... You know, especially during the World Baseball Classic, that was one of the things that I loved most is to see the emotion, the passion coming from these baseball players. And we've started to see Major League Baseball kind of relax itself. Need to. Uh, got uh, to. Yeah, allowing players to show more emotion. Of course, you have people that get upset with that and pitch at players' heads, that sort of thing. But that's just uh, the nature of the beast. But in, in football, this would never happen. Uh, so I, I kind of like that. Major League Baseball is taking this step. I'm curious to see what some of the nicknames are going to be. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I was talking to Larry Durker. Uh, you know, can we call him legendary? He's a legendary uh, Houston Astros Without manager, and pitcher, and broadcaster. He's a Houston legend. Yeah, exactly right. And so I was, I was covering him. Durker's Champs is a charity uh, that he runs with Cy Hope. I was covering that, and he'll actually join us next week as well. I think we can go ahead and say that now. He'll be in studio with us. But uh, but he was telling me about percentages. I can't remember exactly, but it's like the, the percentage of African American players in the league has dropped precipitously over the last ten to twelve years. And I think that you know it's little steps like this that show. You, you know, we are willing to work with you. We're cool, you know. Like if you're thinking about a young, very talented athlete, he has a choice in terms of what he's going to focus on, where he's going to spend his training time, where he's going to get private training, all these things. And you want to be the sport that captures his attention if he's one of those elite, top shelf guys. So I think that little moves like this are important too. That you want a kid to cast his eyes to the professional league and go, I think I could play there. I think I could be a star there, and I think that I could have fun doing that. So if you want to talk about um, kind of race and sports, I think. I think one of the reasons why we don't have I did as not many, say that I did, but right, right, right. But I think I think one of the reasons why we don't have that many African Americans playing baseball is because it's it's a lot more. I don't know. Baseball for me, the last like fifteen years has become all about select baseball, and that costs a lot of money. I mean, that that, that even prices out a lot of the middle class because you have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on equipment, travel. You're playing a hundred games a year. I would warn you against conflating class and and uh, and uh, race too. By the way, but you're right. I mean, those things are right. all kind of tied together in a sense. Baseball, it, there is a uh, an entry uh, barrier, I guess. Whereas in basketball, you need a ball and a hoop. You know, they say that all the time. Football is probably the highest interest entrance barrier. So yeah, those are all factors for sure. But there is uh, one guy who I think could. Would help you know bring so we've, we've started to see that youth are starting to play baseball at a higher clip uh mm-hmm. in in recent you know surveys from like little league and there, there's one guy who was just drafted uh an mlb draft earlier this week his name's hunter green he's from sherman oaks california just outside of the los angeles area he's uh 18 19 years old uh, african-american he, he's a two-way player throws the ball 100 101 miles an hour and he mm-hmm. can also play shortstop he was drafted by the cincinnati reds he's Baseball is a little bit different to project players, especially high school players. You don't know what they're going to do with the minor league system. You don't know what they're going to do at the major league level. Of course, with pitchers, you've got to worry about arm issues. But right. he, it's hard for people who are pretty accurate on that. Right, but it, it's, it's a little bit different for him because he's a hitter. That's a little bit easier right. pro- to project. Um, of course, he was a catcher coming out of high school, and the Nationals realized, okay, we, we don't want to like, destroy his knees, so let's move him to the outfield. Let's, right. let's try to get him up to the major league level at a quicker level. Hunter Green's a little different. He's got an amazing bat, amazing glove at shortstop, but he can also pitch 100 miles an hour. But it's a totally different animal to pitch against high school teams and then going into you know, 23, 24-year-olds playing at the, uh, at the minor league level. But he's a guy that he's young, he's energetic. He's a guy that could transform. I believe Sports Illustrated uh, wrote a story on him. He was, a, he was a cover athlete a few weeks back, but he's a guy that could potentially be that LeBron James type player who has all of the tools if he can sustain them. He's got high character. He's got a great family. He's been through a lot of adversity in his life. I think he's a player that could 
help that youth movement with Major League Baseball. Absolutely. And in terms of a youth movement, it's just a story of local interest. You uh, hear about Cor- Corbin Martin, yeah. Cy Ranch, yep. uh, Houston kid that went to the Astros here. I know he was absolutely thrilled to be taken by the hometown team. And obviously you mentioned there are difficulties in projecting uh, where these guys are going to end up long term. But it's nice to have a guy working his way up through the minor leagues that you can kind of root for and say, hey, he's a homebred product and a guy that we can sort of, uh, I mean, you know, imagine one day uh, playing for the hometown team and, and sort of repping the city here. So that'd be a good story and certainly something to keep an eye on if you're a fan of uh, Houston lore and Houston local stuff like I am. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's head to our last, uh, I guess, topic of the week. And uh, we don't really talk a lot about finance or the stock market on this show. But uh, there was a huge story uh, that broke late this week, and that was Amazon buying Whole Foods in a deal that was valued at $13.7 billion. And, of course, Jeff Bezos, who is just has a Goliath at the Amazon, their share price, uh, it, it was just... It was phenomenal. I mean, Amazon- has Amazon ever made money? Can I ask you that? Year over year, have they ever turned a profit? I don't think so. Right? I don't have the numbers. I know eBay hasn't. I, well, I don't. I so don't I'm, I'm not have. sure. I'm not sure if you're confusing that with eBay. No, I'm not confusing with eBay. I'm, t- I'm talking about Amazon. It, it's amazing because they their valuation grows uh, incredibly every year because they make these big moves. This is a right. major, major move, no question about it. But they also have never been profitable. It's so weird to me how it seems like when you look back at like the Great Depression, like these huge bubbles that burst or whatever when i hear things like that amazon's the biggest thing in the freaking world and they've never once turned a profit through a fiscal year it's the same thing with tesla it, of course it, it is. it's that's all based saying. on speculation yes i know when everything's based on speculation like that that's when people get hammered hard man that's when they get hammered historically that that's totally fair and it's, it's to me it's fascinating because just a few years ago jeff bezos and amazon said that brick and mortars are dead yeah and then they go out and buy <laughs> well, whole foods who has struggled the last two years of course they have something like 400 plus stores throughout the united states uh they had suggested two or three years ago that they wanted to expand to 1,200 stores, uh, and then ultimately they realized the market couldn't bear that yeah. uh, because other they, they didn't adjust to the market. Uh, whereas you know you stores like, on the moon, st- yeah, stores like Walmart, uh, Kroger, they kind of adjusted. They started providing those specialty foods that Whole Foods did. But to me, I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, Dennis Berman, uh, financial editor for the Wall Street Journal, said that Amazon did not just buy Whole Foods grocery stores; it bought 431 upper income prime location mm-hmm. distribution nodes for everything it does. That, to me, is fascinating. This is not just about buying a grocery store or getting into brick and mortars. It's about having a distribution center for your Amazon Now program. And to me, that's just absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and it'll make a big difference in terms of what they're able to deliver, which is already uh, uh, industry-leading, I think. So that's, I mean, they are a giant, but it just, what I think of whenever I hear about Amazon and how powerful Jeff Bezos is, is like, uh, you know, in, in terms of any real financial, tangible sense, right? Like, if you think about what I was raised to believe in terms of businesses and what they ought to do, it doesn't seem responsible, and it seems like there's too much speculation for it to be healthy from a financial sense. But hey, I'm not a broker, uh, and I've had brokers tell me I'm an idiot, too, for thinking <laughs> that way. So, But you know, the brokers also looked really bright until you know uh, Black Monday or whatever it was. That, that's they- totally fair. I'm going to run through some final uh, financial numbers for you. But Amazon uh, already made back its $13.7 billion in market value on the stock market uh, just on Friday alone, just through trading. So to me, they essentially got Whole it's Foods for free. Money. Right, but it, it's hilarious. I mean, Whole Foods, their share price... <laughs> gained more than 27% on Friday. And to me, here's a kicker. Uh, When you look at the competitors for Whole Foods, companies that have kind of made strides... They got destroyed yeah. on the on the stock market on Friday. Target down nine percent. Walmart down five percent. Costco down six percent. Sprouts down eleven percent. Kroger down thirteen percent. The market is essentially saying nobody else has a chance in the grocery business. Yeah, it's like they are the now the Amazon and Whole Foods are the Golden State Warriors of the, uh, <laughs> of the, of the, of the so, tech so, world. Wait, wait, wait. So are you saying that uh, 
Are you saying Kevin Durant yeah, is Whole, Whole Foods? Yeah, yeah well, I think it's a pretty apt comparison too. Whole they, Foods. They both they both play their college ball in Austin. Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, it's even more. I was thinking more along the lines of like scoring, like offensively, like they just hit me with great samples every time I walk in. But yeah, no, I mean you could certainly make the case that that uh, that comparison's interesting, top to bottom. I think we're probably the first person to ever first group ever to make that comparison. So Kevin Durant, Whole Foods, uh, <laughs> signed with the Golden State Warriors. If you're and struggling Amazon. to conceive of this tech merger, in, <laughs> think of it in a sports way. Exactly yeah. right. That's a sports analogy for you can use to explain to other people. Yeah. So that's what we do here at the Weekly Brew. We make a complex financial transactions make sense through sports. Exactly so right. I, I, maybe maybe we should form like a completely separate podcast to do that. <laughs> I think I think you know there was that great book uh, several years ago, Freakonomics. It yes. came out about 15 years ago, and maybe, it's a podcast too. Yeah. Maybe there's a way for us to jump on that through a sports. That's trademark 2017. Austin Statton, Kevin Cook. Sportonomics. Yeah. Sportonomics. I like that. Yeah, let's do it's it. Ours. It's trademark right now. All right. Let's do it. Uh, so if you want to also read uh, kind of a good article uh, recapping Whole Foods and where their business was heading prior to this. Uh, acquisition. Check out Texas Monthly. Uh, they have, they've got a great story. Uh, it's called Whole Foods Economic Founder Changed the Way uh, Americans Consume... F- I'm sorry. Whole Foods Eccentric Founder Changed the Way Americans Consume Food. Can he survive the Wall Street forces that now want to consume him? Obviously, he's going to stay in power as the CEO of Whole Foods, but it's going to be directed by Jeff Bezos now. Yeah. So yeah, check yeah, he's that out. Boss, for sure. That guy is, I mean, he, he is a visionary in the in the brand of sort of like a Steve Jobs, you know, or a guy that people are going to legendarily speak about after the fact. So I hope he's not, um, you know, like a really creepy, terrible scumbag guy deep down because he's got a lot of power. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this has been a fun episode of the podcast, episode 98. I think we're probably... I'm just going to go out on a ledge here. There's something like 400,000 podcasts in the United States. I'm going to assume that we're the only podcast to have a WNBA GM, a current W or current NBA player, uh, a podcast that has spoken about the NBA draft, a podcast that's spoken about Conor McGregor, a podcast that has spoken about Michael Phelps and Sharks, and a podcast that spoke about Amazon and Whole Foods. We're probably the only podcast to cover all of that. Yeah, probably so. And, and, and I have a favor to ask of the listeners. Obviously, ratings and reviews are very important to us. We'll read your review if you leave one for us on our iTunes page. It's a five-star review and it's got a paragraph. I'll read it out loud um, virtually no matter what it says. That's a great deal of latitude to you guys. You guys should have some fun with it. Um, but also, uh, share share just the concept of podcasting with a friend this week. Like, if you know somebody that doesn't listen to a lot of podcasts, just ask people, hey, what do you listen to podcast-wise? Recommend this one or, or teach them how to listen to podcasts because it really doesn't enrich people's lives and there are still lots of people who don't know how or what a podcast really is even. So, so be a teacher this week. Let's make this podcast week. Yeah, make podcasts great again. How about that? That's not what I would want to <laughs> say, no. I would say um, maybe like hope or, or change podcast all right so we went with the podcast you listen themes for the uh, the past two presidents of the united <laughs> states but uh, kevin this has been episode 98 of the podcast uh it's been a lot of fun and if you want to follow our work just search weekly brewcast facebook twitter instagram and youtube and also go to our website weeklybrewcast.com we post great content there each monday when this episode goes live uh but it, it's been a lot of fun kevin it's been great having you in the studio this week and uh definitely enjoy the conversation looking forward to the nba draft this thursday yeah and larry Durker next week so if you're a old school astros fan or you're a fan of astros now he's got stuff to about so tune in for it. We're looking forward to talking to you guys then. Absolutely. Cannot wait to have Larry Durger in studio next week on the Weekly Group Podcast. But uh, again, thanks to our guests this week, Ruth Riley and Justice Winslow. Make sure to go follow them on social media and also use the hashtag this week on social media. And that's Get Kevin Verified. <laughs> uh, we want that to happen. Also follow him at K Michael Cook. You can follow myself at A Staten. But uh, Kevin, it's been a blast this week. And on behalf of my co host, Kevin Cook, my name is Austin Staten. We'll see you next week. And guys, remember, no matter who you are, where you go, or what you do this week, always, always follow at KMichaelCook on Twitter and get him verified. Hashtag get him verified. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 